Hey ladies, welcome to WTF, Women Talking Frankly, a running conversation with your hosts, Kyle and Candace. And you, about issues facing women, such as health, hormones, our looks, our libido, life, and anything in between. We promise to dig deep and get into it each episode. Welcome. We're so glad you joined us today. ladies, we're back in the studio today and we have a very, very exciting guest. It's somebody that I met a while ago and I'm going to introduce her in just a minute. But first I want to just catch up and say, hi, Candice. Hi, Kyle. How are you? I think I'm fine. I haven't decided yet, actually, no. <laughs> for today. <laughs> Why is that? Uh, it's just been a hectic morning. I'm, I just feel preoccupied. I can't think straight. Does anybody relate to that? Yeah, what well, kind of that menopausal moment? Yeah. I yeah. know, it's great. Moments. Well, we've had a really interesting time in Oregon the last few weeks. We had the hottest weather on in history. Mm-hmm. I've lived here since 1977, and usually our summers are 80s, maybe 90s a few days. Mm-hmm. We hit 115. It's, it was kind of a scary time. Um, but we we're did. back to normal right now, so I'm feeling pretty good about that. At least getting, uh, there was something about experiencing 112 where, where I was in wine country, and, and then the contrast with 90s is ain't so bad now. <laughs> I know. It's kind of sad to say that. I mean, it's that still bad, but it's bearable. I'm with you on that. Compared to the 112. Usually at over 85, I'm like, mm. oh, God, it's so hot. I know. I'm, I'm appreciating that as well. That's why we live well. in Oregon, but... So, you know, we've had a lot of different um, people on our podcast, and a lot of them are people that you and I have met over the years. And in my work as a nurse practitioner, I always worked with a lot of women complaining of gaining weight, and weight was a huge issue. And I had this one lovely young woman who worked for Nike years ago. She was actually a basketball player when she was younger. And she was so frustrated because she could not lose weight, and she felt like it was a real minus for her being in a place like Nike. So then I hadn't seen her for a while, and she came in one time, and she had lost 40 pounds. And so I always ask, well, how did you do that? Because that she has been so frustrated. And she said she'd worked with a woman named Andrea Nakayama. And I said, oh, I've got to check this out. And she told me about the program, so I looked up Andrea, and I got to know her over the years. And over the years, Andrea has developed an amazing nutritional program that goes beyond nutrition anything that we've ever thought about nutrition or dietitians into the world of functional nutrition. And I just wanted to introduce her a little bit. Her bio is amazing. Um, She is the CEO and founder of a nutritional lab called Functional uh, Nutrition Lab and Functional Nutritional Alliance. She spent 15 years practicing and leading a functional nutritionist, and she's a speaker and educator. Her work has been in Oprah Magazine, Martha Stewart's Whole Living magazine. She has other publications. She has, um, she was, uh, she has an amazing podcast called the Fifteen Minute Matrix, and we're going to talk about that. Candace and I have actually been guests on that. It's pretty exciting. But she has an amazing story, and um, I want to talk. And it's an interesting and unique story. And Andrea, I'd like to welcome you now to our podcast. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you so much. I'm yeah. so excited to be here with yeah. both of you. Yeah, and she didn't start out with nutrition, so um, I would love you. To, Andrea, to share how you got into the world of nutrition in your circuitous way. Yeah, it was a circuitous way. I actually have an art background and was working in publishing and always had a real love for food. So I was cooking a lot, 
living in San Francisco, and it was when my husband was diagnosed with a brain tumor, a glioblastoma multiforme, that I really turned my love for food into food as medicine. And I think of that time that he was sick as sort of a boot camp in nutrition and in physiology and understanding the body and the brain and how we feed ourselves. I should say that during that time when he was diagnosed, I was pregnant and um, seven weeks pregnant. So we hadn't yet even announced that Mm. we were about to have a baby. We actually had to announce that we had a brain tumor before a baby. And that started the journey. I should say that was a long time ago, almost 19 years ago now. And Isamu lived two and a half years with his brain tumor. He died when our son was 19 months old. And how old was he when he died? Isamu was 34 when he died. Wow. And I think I remember you telling me, and maybe I got this wrong, that a lot of the work you did was working towards helping him live a higher quality life during that time period. Absolutely. Everything, like I said, that boot camp time was understanding all the things we could do in addition to the medical interventions, because of course he had two craniotomies and radiation and chemotherapy and all sorts of trials. And what we were doing is figuring out what else we could do. So all the alternative or integrative Mm -hmm. approaches from meditation to acupuncture to herbs. And for me, where I really sunk my teeth and hands into was in the realm of nutrition, understanding how sugar feeds tumor growth, Mm -hmm. what has to happen in the body to be able to fight at an immune level. I can look back if I were to have regret, which I don't, and say I wish I knew then what I know now, Mm -hmm. because I know a whole lot more now. But we did so much, and I learned so much, and we did prolong his life. He was given six months to live at the time of diagnosis and uh, not expected to see our son born and lived nearly two and a half years. Which is an amazing story. I remember reading a book, I think it was by David Sherbin Schreiber, who wrote the book, The Anti-Inflammatory yeah, Guide yes. book. And he he was a, a, a doctor. Anti-cancer diet. Yeah, he was, right. a, do- he was a doctor who um, was a resident at, uh, in neurology when he was 30 years old. And, and the story was that he told was that somebody didn't show up for a study. They supposed to have a CAT scan. So he said, well, just do me. Right. I remember that. And they did his CAT scan and turned out he had a glioblastoma at a very early stage. And he then developed this anti-inflammatory diet. And he lived like 18 years because his was like so stage one. Yes. But again, the impact that diet has on disease and disease progression is so profound. I don't think we think about that. And you see people in our, we see them all the time, you know, obese people who suddenly get diagnosed with diabetes or heart disease, suddenly they go on the diet. It's like, they're already down the road. Yes. If we could stop that down the road and, and, and help people be healthier now, I think we'd see so much less of that kind of disease process. Yeah, and there's so much we can be doing that is beyond food. So functional nutrition is really about diet and lifestyle modification, and it's very individualized. So it's really understanding what's true for this person. And there's so many techniques now that allow us to really look at what's going on for an individual. My now boyfriend is wearing a continuous glucose monitor. He's very fit and eats very healthfully, but he has really high triglycerides. And 
were able to watch by looking at his blood sugar because yep. that has its roots in sugar, not mm-hmm. in fat, mm-hmm. and see where can we just add a tablespoon of flax to his smoothie or to his oatmeal and make a really significant change in his blood sugars and watch that happen over time. So there's a lot we can be doing nowadays to play with that disease reversal or that preventative uh, medicine through diet and lifestyle modification. So talk us through a little bit. You know, you started out with as individually working with people and then you developed all these programs. Will you talk about that journey and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. So I did have the opportunity to work one-on-one with clients and that grew really quickly for me. I was doing something different, but not knowing I was doing something different. And I think it really came from almost not coming from a medical background and the way I think more like a renaissance thinker. Where are all the things that we could be drawing from? And so there was something I was doing that was drawing people's attention, that was getting results like the results you shared. And my practice grew really quickly. I realized I was having conversations over and over again and started to create programs and curriculum. I had come from book publishing, so I knew how to write, I knew how to produce, I knew how to create. I started creating these programs for the advanced end user, so a client or patient who's interested in mm-hmm, their health, mm-hmm. who wants to know what's going on, why am I feeling fatigued, why am I eating that really good diet and still not losing weight, why am mm-hmm. I not sleeping at night? So that was really my ideal client. I call them the little bigs, little issues, big efforts. And right? they're mo- so these are motivated, they're motivated yeah, it's, people. It's very yes. Different. Ultimately, in clinic, I started working with what I call big bigs, people with big health issues, undiagnosed or diagnosed, whether Lyme disease or Hashimoto's Mm. or MS or rheumatoid arthritis, so really big issues and already making a big effort, potentially even working with top practitioners, but not really able to make a difference in their their life at home Mm -hmm. that would help them with what they're doing at the doctor. And ultimately, just to fast forward, there were a lot of other practitioners asking me, what are you doing? How are you getting these results? So I thought I was building a little mentorship group for clinicians with what's now Functional Nutrition Lab. That's my training for practitioners. I now train probably nearly 2,000 practitioners a year in the methodologies that I was able to develop by kind of looking at what I was doing and systematizing it. It's amazing. And to think that you didn't have a medical background or a scientific background, how did you learn all of these different systems and disease processes to become adept at, at taking care of people? Yeah, that's a great question because I think it can make us feel less than, like we don't understand, especially being around somebody who's a licensed practitioner. And for me, it started, I thought I wanted to become a registered dietitian. There was a point where I kind of woke up and realized like, this is my calling. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. It's in the food as medicine and I'm air quoting here. Um, arena. And I had to put myself back through school because I had a Bachelor of Fine Arts. So I did all my post-bac, pre-med, pre-rex. And there was, I was starting to make connections 
about what had happened with Isamu, about what was happening in the body. And it was like there was information coming off the page for me where I was able to see, here's the physiology, the biochemistry, the pathophysiology. But wait a minute, if that's true, this is how it relates to food. This is where there's more chemistry happening. So I was learning the physiology, but making these associations that weren't being made for me anywhere else. And that's actually what I teach. I teach through the body systems. My program's called Full Body Systems. And we're using the stories of how the body's supposed to function for really understanding our ability to clinically assess, wait a minute, what's going on in there? And I'm not here to play doctor, and I'm not training practitioners to play doctor. There's a scope issue, and I think we have a missing scope in healthcare that sits in the gap between the doctor and the weeds that the patient is in that could see and actually uh, make recommendations. It sounds like you found something out of the void, because I was just looking at this Recent paper in the Journal of Biomedical Education reporting that most U.S. medical schools fail to provide the recommended minimum 25 hours of nutrition education. So it's just recommended. 43 provide, 36% provide less than half that much. Um, and the Association of American Medical Colleges has recently declined to incorporate nutrition into their new blueprint for medical competencies. That's just that's mind-boggling. And three nutrition education surveys run at four-year intervals since 2000 have consistently found that most medical schools do not even come close to the recommendation of the National Research Council to include that 25 to 30 hours of nutritional education So in the undergraduate curriculum. So evidently, physicians in the U.S. are kind of largely on their own when it comes to learning how to deal with everyday nutrition challenges, which segues right into what you were saying, because it's like you've just created something you've created whole cloth out of what was tatters and rags. And how can we realistically expect these docs to address these issues of metabolic syndrome and obesity and diabetes if they don't And COVID. I mean, we recognize... You're talking about obesity. What is the the percentage of people who got COVID were the greater percentage were people hamstrung by that? And in addition... um, Think of all the nutrition. And I did learn nutrition when I was young, and I have studied some on my own, but how much of it is now obsolete? Exactly. What I learned, and you learned, and you mentioned this about your boyfriend, is that you know we all learned, oh, eggs are bad for you, high-fat diet, don't eat saturated fats. And now we, we know, have known, I worked with a hepatologist, a lipidologist many, many years ago, about 20 years ago, who told me, high-fat diet doesn't raise your cholesterol, it's high sugar. She knew about it, but that, that took a long time to yes. get into the public information system. So I think there's so many people walking around with misinformation and somebody like you is helping all these other providers. So because they still have a dearth of training, yeah, evidently. And, they and, do. And, and, and wrong information, a lot of yeah. them, too. So I, I think it's like when you, uh, most people who go to a primary care physician, they're not going to sit down with you for half an hour and say, you have high blood pressure, you have high cholesterol, you have high sugar, this is the diet you need to follow. They're going to send you to a di- dietitian, and, and God bless dietitians, but a lot of them have very obsolete yes. viewpoints. So what t- could you explain to us how, I know you have this matrix system that you you filter everything 
thing through. Yes. Would you explain how that works? Yeah, and if I may just respond to some of what mm. you were saying, Candice, with the there is a um, there's more and more information that shows us that diet and lifestyle modification do matter. There's more research. I mean, the research is growing, and yet medical schools are not training mm-hmm. into the arena of nutrition, but also lifestyle of sleep of some of the things they're not asking questions about our childhood. And we know that adverse childhood experiences, childhood trauma do indicate more disease state as Mm. we grow older. So there's so much research that shows us Mm -hmm. that this information is necessary, but nobody's spending time there in their training, and they're not spending time there in clinics. So in functional nutrition, before I talk about the systems, it really is important for me to talk into how we see the whole person. So it really isn't a protocol. It's not, oh, you have Hashimoto's or high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. Here is the diet. Diet. That's more of the traditional registered dietitian approach. And I have to say, I have a lot of dietitians and nurses who are disillusioned with the field and come mm-hmm. through my program and feel like this should have been part of the training Absolutely. that they go so through. So you're, you're filling a huge gap that it's is a still huge a huge gap. chasm. It's huge. It's huge and it's necessary. And again, we're not pl- trying to play doctor. We're right. trying to support the doctors who don't no, and can't. Pre- they have another job. Right. They have another scope, and we have another scope. So I'm always telling my students, like, sit in your scope, and it may be different. The scope may be different for a dietitian or a nurse or a doctor going through the program than it is for a health coach or a mom who wants to help other children who have been on the autism spectrum. There's a place for all of us because the gap is huge yes. for what we could be doing in education for the patient and listening, really holding. Yes, the whole story. How how do would you say the who are the of the licensed physicians who are the ones that are most interested in in filling in their lack of knowledge from medical school? I would and say. What are the other types of practitioners that are studying with you? Yeah, so I <clears throat> would say that you know functional medicine and integrative physicians know that diet and lifestyle modification matter. They also know they don't have time for right, it, so exactly. they're the ones who really love bringing on mm-hmm. my graduates and. And partnering and really recognizing that partnership. Of the licensed physicians, lots of nurse practitioners, lots of registered nurses, and lots mm. of dietitians, are <clears throat> registered dietitians, are now kind of searching for, wait a minute, I thought I was getting into patient-centered mm. care, and this doesn't feel patient-centered. Mm-hmm. I'm doling out medication yeah. instead of getting to mm-hmm. the roots. Um, and, you know, there's so much, it's lingo these days to say like root cause, but what we do is really look for the roots. And I help people understand this is one of the paradigms. If it's a sign, a symptom, or diagnosis, it's a branch. It's not a root. So whatever mm, you can name... Interesting. <clears throat> As And I have people name them, name them, it's your restless leg, your insomnia, your, uh, your high cholesterol, your high blood pressure, so your Hashimoto's, branches. those are branches. Gotcha. If we think about the mm-hmm. tree, any sign, symptom, or diagnosis is a branch. And in order to heal a tree, we don't just want to chop off the branches. It doesn't mean we don't support those branches, but we want to go deeper to the trunk and deeper to the roots And in my paradigm, those three roots are the genes, digestion, 
and inflammation. Those are our three roots, but every root lives in soil. And our job is to influence the health of that root by really looking at the soil that that root lives in. So if we think about the genes, that becomes scary for people. I can't change my genes, but, but we know. Hmm. Epigenetics. We know our epigenetics. We right. know environment loads th- well, that the Well, define epigenetics. I don't think everyone understands yeah, that word. So the genes load the gun, the environment pulls the trigger is the saying. I don't love the saying, but really our genes are malleable. We can have influence over their Mm -hmm. expression, at least from a genomic Mm -hmm. perspective. Mm -hmm. And that is our food, our movement, our environment, and our mindset. And those things are epigenetic factors, meaning they bathe and influence the expression of our Mm -hmm. genes. And that's going to look different for everybody. So around food, I think of these things as the circle of influence, right? Where we get out of the worry of I have to fix that and into like, wait a minute, what can I do? So around food, we want to think about diversity. We want to think about timing. We want to think about quality and quantity. There's other factors that are going to be unique for each individual. And then each of those roots, genes, digestion, and inflammation, those are the three roots. There are many branches, but there are three roots with any chronic situation. Each one has its circle of influence, and we always need to be looking there in order to create sustainable change. So Mm. that's one model, my three roots, many branches. But there's also the matrix, which I can talk about as well. Wow, that's a lot. And it's a great um, visual. I'm a very visual person. I think most Mm. most people are having that root system and thinking about it that way. And um, I remember Dr. Oz talking about this as a cardiovascular surgeon. He became a functional nutrition, functional doctor because he said he was always operating on people. And he said, I can fix your blockages, but I'm wondering what's going on upstream. Yes. And that's what you're talking about. Yes. What is the root cause and how can I change that? And I think a lot of, like to your, to your point about many providers don't have the time or the expertise, and they're working in their own sphere of excellence. Yes. Like I've worked with amazing surgeons who recognize that they don't have the time and energy to learn what you're learning. And that's this is where the partnership comes in healthcare. That's is as long as we're open to it, I think that's what's so great about, you know, is having this this new paradigm shift that we can all work together. Yes. And we're not in competition. Correct. It's a team yeah. approach. Yeah. And what often happens, and this leads to one of my other systems that I call the, I like to call it the three tiers to epigenetic mastery, but we end up calling it the three tiers to nutrition mastery because not everybody is familiar with the term epigenetics. But the three <laughs> tiers are the non-negotiables, deficiency to sufficiency, and dismantling the dysfunction. And most of what happens in medicine goes right to tier three. And what we're doing in functional nutrition is focusing on tier one and tier two as a means to get to tier three. So non-negotiables We all know them. If we all just stop and think, what are the things we do that help us feel better or make us feel worse? But even looking more deeply, I will look at like sleep, poop, and blood sugar balance. If those are not functional and stabilized for any individual who has a chronic health condition, we're building on quicksand. We're again going for that tier three targeted approach 
but we're not going to have sustainable results. So that's the tier three. <clears throat> remind me, is the dysfunction to function? So the the tier three is dismantling the dysfunction. Dismantling and that's function. what medicine does is right. like say, where's the dysfunction? Give this is the name of it. Let me give you a medication. Right. And we're saying, wait a minute, what's the soil in which that dysfunction exists? Got it. That's a branch. How do I actually nurture all the terrain in which that exists. So in a similar way, when Candace and I talk about hormone balance, it's getting back to the physiological balance yes. and what's pulling you off kilter and getting you back to the basics. Correct. I'm kind of interested, though, to, you know, at the base here, we've got the genetics and then we've got the epigenetics. But but the genetics, do you have to, I mean, I think of that, the, the term we used to use before epigenetics was probably something like a predisposition, having a predisposition to something. So we know that... Asians are, or Indian cultures are more sensitive to alcohol, supposedly, or there, you know, there are different trends that we health right. trends Native and Ameri- issues that Native, we, American. Native Americans yeah. um, and Asian Americans, well, Asians as well. But um, I, how do you get to that? Do you feel like you have to establish that first before you can get into these other? No, it's really you know, kind like of you were all... talking about childhood trauma yes, and the different so exactly. You, so when you work with someone, do you start at that very primal foundational place, or do you start with the branches and then? So get you're not to the... doing twenty three and Me. You're just looking no. at, You're looking at the problem and you're peeling back the layers. Correct. And we're just saying we know that this is influence. We know, especially if you have an autoimmune condition, genetics are at play. We know that okay. through science. Yeah. So how do we make sure that we're positively influencing? But we don't have to test the genes. Mm. The I always think of genetic testing as wallpaper. Like, yeah, good, we know that, but we don't know that those are expressed, those single nucleotide mm-hmm. polymorphisms, as they're called. We don't know if they're expressed. I've seen my genetic testing, and I'm like, yeah, that's not true about me. And it's because I'm epigenetically influencing yeah. mm-hmm. that predisposition Absolutely. in a positive way. But where we start is really individualized when we're working one-on-one. And this is where the functional nutrition matrix comes into play. And I worked off of the Institute for Functional Medicine's matrix and created a little more user-friendly version that a patient could appreciate. And that's divided into what I call the story, the soup and the skill. And the story is in functional medicine, we call it the ATMs, the antecedents, the triggers, and the mediators. So our antecedents are those predispositions. What did our mom have, our dad? What do we know about our genes? How Mm -hmm. were we born? What order were we born in? Mm -hmm. Our triggers are Mm -hmm. all those life factors that we've experienced, whether they're big stressors in our life from a death, a divorce, big childhood trauma Trauma, of any sort. It could be food poisoning, a car accident. Those are our triggers in our life. And then our mediators are those things that we know help us feel better or make us feel worse. And our goal in functional nutrition is to help somebody know more of their mediators. That's when Mm -hmm. you're empowered. So that's the story The soup is what we were talking about earlier, Kyle, when you were talking about in medicine, people learned in sort of ologies Mm -hmm. and really Mm -hmm. broke up all the different things. And in functional medicine and functional nutrition, we know the gut's connected to the brain. We know the hormones connected to the liver. So that area in the center of the functional nutrition matrix helps us to make connections between the body Mm -hmm. systems. Mm -hmm. And then the right side, the skills 
are all the things from sleep and relaxation, nutrition and hydration, exercise and movement, stress and resilience, relationships and networks. Those are the things we do. But in functional nutrition, we're making those recommendations based on what we know about the story in the soup. So Mm, whereas a health coach might say, like, here's your skills, eat your greens, eat your Mm -hmm. flax, do your exercise, we're saying, what's right for you? I've mapped you now through Mm -hmm. really detailed assessment and inquiry and motivational interviewing. I've mapped you, Candice. How do I make sure that I understand what recommendations I'm making are appropriate for you based on so many factors, Mm -hmm. where you are in your life cycle, what your uh, motivation is right now, what your challenges are. So we're never making recommendations without really the, the, what I call functional empathy, really understanding who you are, where you are. Just a quick example I always like to tell when my dad was diagnosed with cancer, And I would see how, you know, a lot of my students might want to be like, cancer, let's address the cancer. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, wait a minute, he just went through surgery and had three organs removed or partially removed. That's where we need to focus. Mm -hmm. Like my focus is on him healing from surgery. Cancer, that's later. Keep it in mind. But it's not my fear and drive to, like, I'm going to address, fix the cancer. It's what Mm -hmm. is this person going through right now? What are they capable of? He didn't have a lot of appetite. So how do I address nutrition and lifestyle and what he's doing based on that particular factor in that moment? Mm-hmm. Sounds like you really help people set realistic expectations. So I would imagine that your success rate is much higher yes. based on this. Because, I mean, so many people are just giving people a formulaic approach. So, you know, eat, like you said, here's the foods you need to eat. Here's the foods you should avoid. Here's the exercise you should do. And not saying, my God, you have three children at home. You're a single mother. Exactly. You're stressed out. You can't do these things. You don't have the budget. How can I meet that person where they are. Exactly. And create a, you know, a paradigm that works for them. And this happens so much with supplements as well. Somebody will be given a lot of supplements and their body can't tolerate it. Mm-hmm. We end up working with a lot of people who can't actually do the protocol their doctors are recommending for their SIBO or their Lyme disease or their pathogen or their parasite or whatever it is because their body is in a hypersympathetic mm-hmm. state. Mm-hmm. They're not in a healing and receptive state. And so they're sensitive to everything. Their entire system's on alarm. We've got to slow that down, do the work like you were saying, Candace, to come into. That's a place where we might have to focus first on recognizing trauma, recognizing medical trauma that might happen to a lot of women while they're looking for uh, reasons why they might be feeling the way they feel. So really meeting that person where they are and slowly and progressively moving forward with them and helping them to see themselves as whole and not broken. So this is a this is a whole cloth therapy. I mean this is very intensive. How much time do you spend with an individual because this is, you know, harking back to the fact that the average doctor doesn't get even nutrition training. How is anyone equipped to deal with the 
You're this, spending time. This we spend scenario. Time. It's not, this yeah. is not a 15 minute visit. No. no. This is this is work. Yes. Is, and it sounds like a relationship. It, it is. It a re- is. We call it a therapeutic relationship. That's at the cornerstone of a functional practice. Should be a therapeutic partnership where the patient is part of that part partnership. They are an equal part, if not the center of mm-hmm. the partnership. And. To your point, Candice, I teach into a model I call the art of the practice, and art stands for assess, recommend, and track. And we spend a lot of time assessing Mm -hmm. before we make any recommendation. So no recommendations are made until essentially at least two hours of FaceTime really? are spent uh-huh. with So you're not jumping to conclusions. No I was wondering how much conversation to- and interviewing. And how do you decide, are there some people that you, I mean, I would imagine some of this assessment is whether you, for you as the practitioner, can I work with this person? Is this person a good Compatible. candidate yes. to, to yes. do this so work with we me? We do have a, a initial process, and I will say I don't see clients anymore. I teach, and we have a clinic, so I do mm. have a team of clinicians. And our process is such that we have an initial survey and strategy session where I have a, a, a clinic concierge, she's called, that does that conversation. Ah, so mm-hmm. 15, 20 minutes for somebody to ask about our process, how does it work, what can I expect while she's telling them more about how we work? And we will then say, good fit, send them the intake form, or you know what, you'd be better served over here or That's through great. this elimination protocol, or, you know, this isn't quite right for you yet. So that's our clinic because we work with those big bigs. But in the people mm. I train, they might be working with people all that are all along that readiness spectrum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The people you train, do they find themselves in clinics where in a functional medicine clinic or an integrative doctor's office who doesn't have the time to do that, but wants someone on board who does? Yes. And Part will the they team. support that person in that? Yes. All sorts from people having their own practices and their own businesses and, you know, their own group counseling to people being part of other clinics. And Mm -hmm. a lot of doctors do come to me asking for somebody in their area or there's a lot these days around health coaches, but then the difference they find is a health coach isn't trained to do any clinical work. They don't understand how the body works. They may just be cheering the patient on. And and I don't mean just, there's a lot to that paradigm as well. Right. But we have we can bring information forward to the doctor. Like, you know what? You put that client, that patient on a ketogenic diet, they have a history of an eating disorder. I'm concerned this is going to be really triggering. Mm-hmm. Or you gave that client a methylated B vitamin. They're feeling dizzy every time they take that B vitamin. Here's what I think is happening. So the people I'm trained are they're trained to be able to understand how the body should function and bring that information forward. Again, not in, we don't diagnose, we Mm-mm. assess, we don't treat or prescribe, we recommend. So it really is something that people in different scopes can be doing mm-hmm. based on them holding their own scope. And we talk about that a lot within the program. And having worked with Andrea in the past, um, she I would send people to her if I had a, a diagnosis of maybe Hashimoto's or inability to lose weight or low energy. And then she would make, she would evaluate that person. And I'm sure it's probably similar to what you do now. And make recommendations for me to like run certain tests because then it would be covered by insurance. 
So speaking of that, so you might recommend some you know, routine, average, normal blood test that insurance covers, but what other kind of testing are you doing, like food allergy testing or you know, different kinds of um, viral panels and things like that that you might run for people? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I think there's so much missing, so much information we overlook in a regular blood panel. So right. an extensive blood panel like a CBC, a complete blood count with differential and a, a CMP and a full thyroid panel and a full iron panel and a vitamin D level like there's and homocysteine, like there's so much we can get mm -hmm. from a regular blood panel. So we never bypass that step. And there's a lot of that soil terrain work we can do before we need to pay for the specialty testing. So then mm -hmm. based mm -hmm. on an individual's need, we might need to do a viral panel. We might need to, we like Dutch testing. So we like the dry urine testing for comprehensive hormones. So we like to look at hormone panels. We may need to look at an organic acids panel or a stool analysis. It really is based on the individual mm -hmm. and where we think, you know what, I need more information and this is what I need right now to make the next steps based on what the this person is experiencing. So we don't have a formulaic way. Right. However, we will never, nobody comes into our clinic without having that full comprehensive serum blood panel run. And Kyle, you were so open to the partnership. We have to play that game very carefully mm -hmm. because there can be a lot of ego in medicine. Mm -hmm. I just had this with my sister and her doctor. I can see there's something going on with her thyroid and he didn't run a full panel and he got very testy about the way she asked for it. So we have to be very careful mm -hmm. about that relationship and ensuring that the medical provider is the one in charge, even <laughs> if we're backseat driving with some information. It's just a different focus. I, I went through that. This with my daughter recently, too. She had some symptoms that reminded me of low thyroid, and I, I told her what to get, and I wrote everything down. And of course, she came back with this, the TSH. And I'm like, okay, here we go again. It is just, I'm, you, I'm sure you're educating people all the time. All and the one, time. And once a provider, I would hope, sees the profound changes that occur, because what we're taught is so limited in so many ways, and you only know what you don't know, right? Yes. And so once you learn that, wow, I should run a bigger panel on this thyroid stuff, I think I learned that from a naturopath years ago, and I saw that low T3 could be the only thing that's wrong with that person. And if I, if I just did a TSH and a free T4, I missed everything. Exactly. So it's just, I think it's educating and maybe it takes, it's it's a long process and it takes a long time. But I, I think once you open people's eyes, they're more willing to be a collaborator. Yes. And not feel threatened by that yeah. teamwork. Yeah. And the beautiful thing, I'm always very careful about teaching serum labs. So I do it throughout my curriculum. Like when we're learning the immune system, we're understanding the basophils and the eosinophils and the neutrophils. What do they do and why are they there and how might we look at that testing? But at the end of my curriculum, I do teach into the difference between functional and pathological. There's a real difference there. What does it mean for a body to be in its most functional state versus where there actually a medical issue, mm -hmm. and that's a pathological problem. And how do we look at the constellation? So again, it always comes back to understanding the whole. So we're never looking at any one marker and saying, 
oh, that's a problem. We're looking at that marker in the context of Mm -hmm. the person, and we're looking at that marker in the context of the other markers. And from that understanding of the physiology, able to say, what's going on in here that might have made that elevated and that elevated? Sometimes it could be as simple as dehydration. A lot of times when we're looking at anemia, again, we're going right to that tier three, dismantle the dysfunction, you need to eat more meat. We're not realizing, you know what, that person's eating enough meat, but they're not drinking enough water <laughs> or, or they have stomach acid issues. Absorbing, right. yes, How many exactly. tests would you need to do to make that simple determination? It's not, a, it's, it's the assessment. So understanding what's truly going on for a person mm. along with some of the standard testing that I think is way too often overlooked in today's, I'm going to say functional world where a battery of tests are run at the get-go that are very expensive and potentially unnecessary. And don't well, yield a lot of results. Like dehydration is simply like, how much water do you drink a day? How many times do you go to the bathroom? Simple. simple. I mean, You know, when I think of, though, the, the just all this emphasis on testing, which is so important, of course, and I, I'd be interested to hear more about why we test organic acids and what we're testing there. But um, my husband had a test recently of many things, and he has a lot of dizziness, and he has terrible insomnia, and we're not going to just talk about him. But the issue was with the testing is that nobody explained anything. I mean, that's so typical. He got the test result back, and we're just, you know, we're both looking at it, trying to figure out what each of these levels mean. And the ones that are marked as out of range, there was no explanation. So he went back to his doctor asking well, my red blood cell count was low, and I'm I'm told I'm anemic. It looked <laughs> like the iron was somewhat low, the ferritin was low. That could make you very dizzy. Yeah, and and then there was something else that there was he did. There was just no explanation. And then when he went back to the doctor to say, I'm a bit concerned about this because I do have dizzy spells, and um, you know some other issues that he's got. And the doctor was annoyed. Yeah. He, mm. he came back annoyed, you know, it was like, that's not really that important. Right. And you don't really need to look into that further. And so, I mean, here we have, and you know, and people get test results back. And if everything's within range, they're not looking at, but is it on the low end of the range? Exactly. Or is it on the high end well, of the range? Or I mean, huge. all of these things exactly. matter. I've had a kid who I've been looking at, I remember early on in my uh career, I had a teenage girl, she looked pale to me. And I asked the pediatrician, asked her mom to ask the pediatrician for a full iron panel. And her iron was one above the pathological range. So it didn't get an L. Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. She was just starting to Mm -hmm. menstruate. She definitely had digestive issues. She was on the spectrum. I was like, she looks anemic to me and they they the mom came back and said the doctor said it's fine i was like can i see please see the test exactly it's literally one above where the doctor this is an be. early and warning sign exactly. this is prevention and that's and where, where, we that don't practice prevention but we right. only look at treatment and and not only that but um not me, back, in, but back in the day t- a tsh that was considered to be normal was above nine <laughs> and then <laughs> think about it <laughs> no right just that's right and then they brought it down to like 4.5 and then people who practice functional medicine look at it about over two. And so my daughter recently, again, the same thing. She had the fatigue, and she went in. I asked her to get a B12. They said everything was normal. Well, she was at the exact low end of the B12 range, which we know is not a healthy way to right. be. So, again, tests 
but are important, and they do give us a lot of information. But to your point, Andrea, Andrea, excuse me, is that I learned in school and in nurse practitioner school that about eighty percent of our diagnosis should come from a really good history. Yes. And the rest is testing and, and physical exam. And yes. I don't know if you still agree with that, but totally. I think you can't jump, you, you have to jump, you, have to, you can't jump to conclusions yep. just based on you look pale or you have a heavy period that you automatically are anemic. There may be something else going on that we don't want to miss. Exactly. And there's so many, there's also the issue with people, I'm sure when you're working as intensively as you do, people don't, they don't mention certain things. Right. Oh, no. They become so habituated to their symptoms, yes. they don't even realize it's a symptom. They become that yes. symptom. And they tell you, and they, and, they go later, and they go, oh, by the way, and you're like, oh, yeah, that was important. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. They might like, even forget to tell you they don't have a gallbladder. Or they, I mean, it's I like when you say surgeries. had a blood clot. Yeah. You know, right. like something like this. Like yes. Very important stuff that people, like you said, Candace, they don't even think about it anymore. It's been so far, long ago that they've sort of forgotten about well, it. Well, yes. I think partly what sounds to me like what you're doing is also helping people to become better patients. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you have to learn how to, you know, we always said okay. in the beginning yeah. of this, we want, you know, it's all about asking the right questions, yeah. asking good questions and insisting on answers. Yes. But we don't necessarily know what questions to ask. Yeah. Well, that's so why the, naturopaths are so great. In the yeah. back of the day, I remember the first time I went to a naturopath, I couldn't believe the questions they yes. asked me. I was like, wow, you want to know this about me? Nobody's ever worried about that, but, but obviously it is an indication if this is off that something's wrong with my body. Exactly. And I was going to respond to two points. One is that before we complete that matrix, a client completes a very detailed intake form like we're talking about. But that first session they have with us, that first hour, is what we call it a premier case review part one. In that session, we create a timeline. So it starts with their intake form, but we're doing an hour of motivational interviewing. So that gives us that opportunity to really ask when this was happening, what was going on in your life? The first time you were having this acne, what else was going on? When you had that uh, antibiotic, why did you receive that? What was your reaction? So we're really spending time in motivational hmm. interviewing, getting that deeper story. And like you were saying, Candace, this is where the the client or the patient starts to make associations. They're like, why mm. is that connected? I always like to say we take a patient from the why me story to the oh me story, mm -hmm. because what they're going is, oh, that's connected. Why are you asking about that? And a lot of my students are fearful about doing that session because they think our value comes in making recommendations and handing out the prescription, so no, to speak. I think it's but our value is in really elevating the status of the patient to somebody who understands their own body. The other thing I just wanted to say about nutrition is that when we get to that third root or, or it's the second route, actually. We had the genes, digestion, and inflammation. And this goes back to your husband's story. Yeah. We have to look at the circle of influence around digestion, and that includes mechanical, chemical, structural, and microbial. And all of those things need to be shored up if we're talking about food. Because that assimilation, right. as you said, Kyle, 
is number one. And a lot of people can be eating the quote unquote best diet ever, but they're not properly absorbing those nutrients for reasons that could merely be associated with age. But in any chronic condition, there's usually digestive dysfunction. So part of our job in functional nutrition isn't just looking at the food, but in really looking at the digestive processes. And I know digestion is like the hot thing right now. Everybody Mm -hmm. says everything goes back to the gut. But we really spend time saying like, if you're eating that, what's happening? How do we make sure you can receive the best food possible? A lot of people are restricting their food because of digestive or inflammatory issues. Mm. And we can actually remedy some of that so they can eat the most broad diet possible. I know this is a very simplistic question. I know there's more than one answer to this question. But is there um, an approach that you use to evaluate that the methods that you're you're helping people with are working with a digestive system? How do you know that you've achieved a good digestive system or a functional nutrition? Yeah, I mean, we want to see less. We want to see the absence of the absence of symptoms exactly Mm, and the ability to eat more food so we don't subscribe to any one dietary Mm -hmm. theory as long as it's anti-inflammatory for that individual which is really important but a lot of times people are saying it has to be this diet or they want to lose weight so they want to go on the latest fad which these days is keto which can be very damaging to the digestive system so we're really Mm. looking for the absence of symptoms and the ability ability to consume a more vast or broad diet in terms of um, the diversity. You know, I I wonder about patients also who I I often, because I'm a health educator and I do test people's hormones and it's a very basic sort of, this is what estrogen does, this is what progesterone does, this is what your levels, you know, on a very simple level. And these are the things that can be done that are natural that can help you move towards a more balanced place. But, you know, I ask about stress, and particularly in the last couple of years, I ask about their eating habits, I ask about their exercise, I ask a lot of questions, and I give them a lot of time to talk. But on the eating side, try not to use the word diet, not what's your diet, but what are your eating habits? What do you prefer to eat? How do you like to eat? When do you eat? Most people say, I eat clean. I have a really clean diet. I have a really clean diet. Okay. So that becomes a whole, it's like a, it's like this barrier. You just told me that your diet is really clean. So who am I to question, how do you define what a clean diet is? I think you have to ask and a different it question. it gets really... Like, it, what do you eat? Yeah, we yeah. do a well, well, I do. I ask, but, but then, journal. you know, it but, gets but, into this breakfast, lunch, yes. dinner, and you have yeah. to get into that. Yeah. But it, it is really... It, it That is an interesting area because people... It's helpful that things like anti-inflammatory diet are becoming something that we understand as matters because most people, I think... Well, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of people are sort of annoyed when you want to start talking about their habits. Right. You know, they don't want to be told, they don't, they don't want it to come down to lifestyle. They want to be something wrong on the test. Yep. And they're but very you're gonna, relieved. You're going to fix. Right. Yeah. So you're they're, fix. they're very relieved when there's a number that's yes. wrong because then that means, oh, then there's going to be a fix. Exactly. And this is where I think so much of probably the work you do also gets into cognitive behavioral therapy because... I mean that's a that's a big buzzword now too CBT yes. but 
because people are, you know, there, there are these, it's, it's sort of like with my husband and his insomnia. He's always trying something different. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's like that thing has to help him. Right. It's up to that thing. Yes. And if it doesn't work, then, oh, that doesn't work. Right. It's like, this isn't about that thing making it work for you to sleep. It's about you need to sleep on your own. Yeah. You need to be able to sleep on your own. So what's going on? What are the decisions that you've made? How do we reframe this conversation to make it okay for you to look, you know, for someone to look at the way they eat and to really say, maybe it's in that. Maybe it's in the way I grew up in Iowa eating corn. <laughs> but, I think, but I think to your point, you said when you're working with people, you have the big in the motivation. Right. And when you have the big in the motivation, it changes things, Candace. And I think that's the difference is that people can say I'm motivated, but they're really not. They want the simple things. Yeah. And there's a real difference in the different kind of clients that you work with. Don't you yes. find that? These Absolutely. are people that have evolved, I think. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, I call that the quick fix trap, right? And yeah. we're all yeah. in the quick fix trap. That's where the medical paradigm is. It's exactly. in the quick fix trap. Yeah. You have X, that's let me give you Y. Yeah. And that's what people come looking for. I want I that do pill. think it's possible for a big little, so somebody who has big issues, but has made little effort to become a big, big. But that comes through education. And that's where I think what you do, Candice, and what we do, like as educators, which is really the cornerstone, it's really helping somebody and our our loved ones are often the hardest ones Mm -hmm. to help. Amen. But but it's that education that helps somebody to understand those connections, to want to make the change. It always comes down to risk reward and somebody understanding what's the risk of me continuing on this journey versus the reward of of changing my behavior or making some, a change that feels less comfortable. And we do require, in most cases, a food, mood, poop journal from our clients. And mood is Love in that. quotation marks because it's any sign or symptom. So it could be your body's mood. But we're really helping to see and stand back and not judge. There's no judgment. We're not asking for calories or quantities. We're just looking to get a real glimpse into what is clean mean for this individual. And I have to say, there are times when somebody has a history of disordered eating or body dysphoria because of disordered eating or, uh, you know, gender dysphoria, that we will not ask them to do that as a first step and understand again with that functional empathy, this is going to be a triggering move. But in most cases, we are able to get a three to five day journal that gives us a real picture of what that person's eating. Plus, it's a you're, study. Plus, you're educating yes. that person. I mean, that's what I'm thinking is brilliant. Not only are you yeah. getting information, you're forcing them in, in, in a sense or encouraging them. Yes to create a food, mood, poop thing, and they're going to begin to make connections, which yes. is what you're trying to teach them, what we're all here trying food, to teach. Food, mood, we're, we're all trying to, yeah. <laughs> did food, you poo? Did you poo or no poo? I pooed. Uh, winning the poo. <laughs> no, and, and I think that is so, I mean, I, I have a friend who is going through a thing that she told me she goes to the bathroom once a week. Oh, my gosh. This is a problem. Yeah. And so, you know, and it's like, I have run all kinds of stuff and nothing, I said, got to go see somebody. I think that people don't realize that, you know, one of the, one of the ways you know that something's wrong is by your elimination. Yes. And energy, elimination, Huge. mood. Yeah. Those are big. Non-negotiable trifecta, sleep, yeah. poop, blood sugar balance. Yeah. And those when those are out of whack and we are 
talk about stress and how that affects the hormones, oh, those are physiological stressors. If we're pooping once a week, we're toxic and our body is extra. Actually, eating is a stressor. It's one of the biggest stressors we put ourselves through each and every day. So we hmm. want that functional reality to be able to come into uh, its, its best place and really shore up those systems. Yeah. Wow. I think, so have you described the matrix to your liking? Story soup and skill. Okay. I love it. So <laughs> awesome. We have had an amazing so conversation original. today, but we have Very. so, and we have so much more, and we're going to invite Andrea back for our second session because we have so much more we want to talk about. But I think for today, wow, a lot of information. And how we how can people find you, and Andrea? Yeah, you can find us at fxnutrition.com, and that will lead you to our clinic, to the training, to the podcast, and so much more. Is it a clinic where people come in, or is it a virtual, virtual clinic? clinic. It's a, it, has it always been, even always. through COVID? Yeah, Andrea, really. Andrea was pre-COVID brilliant. <laughs> and you can so tell talking by... to you, talking, you're not seeing patients right. anymore, but talking to My your team. trained, yeah. your team. Mm -hmm. yeah. And she's always had it that way, so mm. it's been amazing. And, it, and it's been a great, and think about how COVID has now shifted people to be comfortable with that. And yes. it saves people time. They can do mm -hmm. it from the, in their own schedule. Yes. And you know, think about it. You're helping so many more people yes. that way. Andrea, it has been such a pleasure. So much fun. And an Thank honor to both. have you here today. And wow. Absolutely. Not enough time. More to be more to be discussed. So part okay. two. So another part, part two, folks. Another part two. So <laughs> stay tuned. We'll see you again in the near future. And stay balanced in the meantime. Yeah. We have it can be done. It can be done. Well, here we are at the end of this WTF Woman Talking Frankly podcast episode. In signing off, we want you to remember that what you are feeling is not all in your head. And that you have so many options to choose from to get you back to balanced living. Until next time, be well. And remember, if you want a great life, you need to ask great questions. Be courageous. Ask for what you need. With love, Kyle and Candace. Our website is womentalkingfrankly.com, where you can find all of our episodes, check out the show notes for resources, articles, and remedies, and where you can also feel free to email us with any questions, a hormone story, anything you'd like us to share with our listeners. Women Talking Frankly, WTF, is produced by Dan Rigger of Medicine Whistle Studios in his lovely Southeast Portland, Oregon studio. We want to thank our webmaster and dear friend, Deb Hollister of Pure and Simple Graphic Design. We also want to give a shout out to all of our family, friends, and patients for all of their support and encouragement to start this podcast. We are your hosts, Kyle McAvoy and Candace Birch. <laughs>